Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here with another edition of the Vitality Explorer podcast. Thank you for listening. Our mission, as always, is to optimize your vitality or optimize vitality one person at a time. Let's start with a quote like we typically do. This one is from Sir Edmund Hillary, the first person along with Tenzing Norgay to climb Mount Everest. And his quote is, quote, it's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. This week, as always, we're going to go through three different topics on the Vitality Explorer sub, <laughs> the Vitality Explorer podcast. You can find the references on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. You can also sign up at vitalityexplorers.com for a free text message newsletter that comes to your phone once a week. The three things we're going to talk about this week are channel your inner Sisyphus. Number two is higher vitamin D helps our hearts. Number three is peeking into your peepers predicts longevity. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. Remember, the Vitality Explorer podcast it's focused on uh, the concept that vitality is a skill and that vitality is a gift that you can give yourself by taking ownership over your decisions. These are sort of the core principles of what we try to talk about. Our goal is to improve your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. So if you're enjoying what you are listening to today, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's jump into that first topic for the week, and that is to channel your inner Sisyphus. And that is sort of the subtitle is why consistency is the key to vitality. So I used a little of that awesome Gen AI to come up with an image of a person pushing a boulder up a steep hill. I encourage you to check out, check out that image on the Substack site. But the question that I want to go over today is why do some people accomplish more than others of equal intelligence? Why do some people accomplish more than others of equal intelligence? Now, this is a question Angela Duckworth asked in her landmark article about grit. And the title of that article was Grit, Perseverance, and Passion for Long-Term Goals. Now, I've been a, a, a fan of her work. I've read her book. I think it's fabulous. But what I did is I, I dove back into 2007 and found the original article that was published. And here is the conclusion of her original article about it. Quote, in every field, grit may be in a as essential as talent to high accomplishment. Let me say that again. In every field, grit may be as essential as talent to high accomplishment. So Duckworth defines grit as perseverance and passion for long-term goals. And she looked at grit in the context of many attributes of high-achieving individuals, including other things. Now, these are things that we often attribute to people who have done a lot or done well, and they are cognitive ability, creativity, charisma. They can also be things like emotional intelligence and stability. And importantly, she also looked at self-confidence and physical attractiveness as possible components of why somebody will be a high achiever. And the interesting thing that she did is also cite previous research that found that persistence of motivation and effort, confidence in your ability to execute, and great strength of character are all predictive of lifelong achievement. And that she wanted to, to look into further things and said, individuals with grit, and this is very interesting, 
of the following attributes according to Duckworth. Number one, emphasized long-term stamina over short-term intensity. I like that one. So it's about how you, grit is about how you can persevere over a long period of time as opposed to pulling an all-nighter. Number two, maintain effort over many years despite failure and plateaus in progress. This is, this is just a great sentence or a great little phrase though, plateaus in progress. So yes, uh, we all have heard about failure and how we should fight through failure. But how about fighting through those plateaus in progress? You're working hard, but you don't seem to be getting ahead or moving the needle towards your goal. So that's where grit comes in. And the third was people with grit um, viewed setbacks as challenges to survive instead of pivoting to another pathway. So you might end up, you know, running into a roadblock and you're like, oh, I got to go somewhere else because that's just isn't working. So, you know, people with grit will view those as challenges as opposed to trying to do something different. So she developed also a, a tool, that, that measurement of, of grit, because nobody had, it's kind of fascinating. And they, they, they looked at things like consistency of interests and um, perseverance and effort. Some of the sentences that people were asked to say, how do they agree or disagree with was, new ideas and new projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. Um, I have achieved a goal that took years of work. I've overcome setbacks to conquer an important um, challenge. Uh, I've been obsessed with a certain idea for a short time, but lost interest. So there's lots of different questions. You can look at the Vitality Explorer Substack site to see a little bit more about that. But what, what's important is that she went ahead and published the results of multiple studies within a single paper. And here are some of her findings. Grit was associated with a higher grade point average in undergraduate students in the University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League school. Number two, grit was a predictor of first summer retention at West Point, the Army Academy, Army Service Academy. And that was um, even more important than self-control uh, or, or a overall summary measurement of the candidate's quality. And then finally, Grittier competitors in the National Spelling Bee outranked the less grittier competitors at the same age. So they had they reached a higher level of the, the final round from the Spelling Bee. So you get undergraduates at Penn, you got cadets at the uh, Naval or at the Army Academy at West Point, and you have Spelling Bee people. And all three of these types of, you, know, say, you could say students or young people, um, she could correlate grit with doing better. And so here's a, here's a couple of great quotes or I think three great quotes from her article. Number one, again, perseverance is at least as, as crucial as intelligence. Number two, people with high levels of grit deliberately do not swerve from their goals, even in the absence of positive feedback. Wow, that, this is just a money sentence, okay? It's sort of a, a paraphrase of what she said, but here it is. People with high levels of grit deliberately, deliberately do not swerve from their goals, even in the absence of positive feedback. Wow. Okay, grit is, final one is grit is important, uh, more important than self-control or conscientiousness. So sort of the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendations about this, this particular article is that grit should be a core skill for anybody who wants to lead their most vital life. We can all learn from her work. We can all learn from Angela Duckworth's uh, original article or her excellent book. So here's the action suggestion. Remember, this is the Vitality Explorer podcast. My name is Dr. Alan Mishra, and we are 
making sure that everything we talk about leads to some sort of action. It's not good good enough to just think about it or do some or, or write it down. We need to get into motion. So number one, seek to be consistent and confident as you execute on your life goals. Remember, grit may be more important than IQ or talent. Number two, grit can help us overcome our limitations in life. So we should channel that inner Sisyphus that, uh, from Greek mythology. And for those of you who don't know Greek mythology or may have forgotten it, Sisyphus was condemned by Deuce. By Deuce. Oh my God, I'm a little tired today when I'm doing this. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me here. Sisyphus was condemned by Zeus, not Deuce. I don't know who Deuce is. Uh, condemned by Zeus to forever roll a massive boulder, boulder up a steep hill for being a trickster. So he was trying to cheat death. And at first, this seems to be a terrible fate. But Albert Camus did a little analysis of, of this um, you know, Greek mythology and his interpretation of the burden of rolling the boulder up um, hill forever um, was something that was fascinating. And here it is, um, the quote from Albert Camus, quote, the struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must therefore imagine Sisyphus happy. So... It, you know, there's the idea of like the, the journey is the destination. There is no destination. If you're constantly pushing a, a meaningful, here's the, here's the thought I have. If you are constantly pushing a meaningful boulder uphill towards an important plateau, and you do that over and over and over again, if you have meaningful actions throughout your entire life, even if they are hard, or especially if they are hard, you will then have a meaningful life. So meaningful, repetitive actions over time lead to a meaningful life. So I encourage you to look at the Vitality Explorer Substack site to, to review Dr. Uh, Korth's amazing article uh, and, there, and some, of the, some of the graphs that are in there that are associated with it. You can also read her book. Um, but I think we can, we can strive to have more grit in our lives and the scientific data by her and others show that that has a, a higher chance of leading to uh, not only just achievement, but I think satisfaction. Okay. Second thing we're going to talk about, very different, is that higher vitamin D helps our hearts and why now is the time to get your vitamin D level checked. So in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the wintertime, um, but in the Southern Hemisphere, it's the summertime, right? So it doesn't matter whether it's winter or summer, at the change of seasons is a very reasonable time to check your vitamin D levels because they vary. The more sunshine there is outside, the higher they are, the less sunshine, the lower they are. So disclaimer for this particular post, uh, please check with your personal physician prior to acting on any uh, information. This is presented only for informational purposes and does not constitute medical advice. Now, vitamin D is crucial for your body systems. And we're going to review a couple articles about how vitamin D is associated with our heart and cardiovascular systems. Here are the, here the titles of the articles. Association between serum vitamin D levels and lipid profiles, a cross-sectional uh, analysis. That's number one. Number two is unveiling the molecular culprit of arterial stiffness in vitamin D deficiency and obesity, the potential for novel therapeutic targets. So the first one looked at over 15,000 people. That's a lot, right? That's a big study. 15,000 people and found a statistically significant link between higher levels of vitamin D and lower levels of the bad cholesterol LDL. All right, there were no difference in total cholesterol, triglycerides, or HDL. But there was a significant difference between a higher level of vitamin D and correlating with a lower level of LDL cholesterol. And, and what's, what's fascinating about this is 
um, that that was levels that were above 40. So participants with levels between 41 and 60 had an LDL level four or 5% lower than those who were less than 40. All right, now this is a critical finding, in my opinion. The data suggests that we may be able to lower our LDL by simply raising our vitamin D levels into the 40 to 60 range. Again, this is a 15,000 person study. So this is not BS. This is scientific data to suggest if your vitamin D level is somewhere between 40 and 60, you have about a four or 5% lower LDL level. Think about that. Vitamin D is incredibly well tolerated and a level between 40 and 60 is phenomenally safe. So um, I think that's this is the kind of data that should be more discussed. And I suggest you check with your personal physician to see if that's a reasonable option for you. All right, the second paper compared individuals who had a combination of vitamin D deficiency as defined as less than 20 nanograms per milliliter and obesity defined by BMI 30 or higher. And these, these individuals were then compared to people who were sufficient, that is above 20, and who were not obese. This was a very small study, but the results were fascinating and important. That's why I wanted to highlight it. And the researchers found higher arterial stiffness in vitamin D deficient and obese research participants, okay? And they measured arterial st stiffness using something called pulse wave technology, and it's a predictor of cardiovascular disease, and there's a cool little graph on the Vitality Explorer Substack site you can look at. But it was clear that if you were vitamin D deficient and obese, your arteries were stiffer, and arter bad, stiffer arteries are bad, right? So stiffening or hardening of the arteries is associated with cardiovascular disease. But this is what's cool about this small study is they also then looked at biomarkers. And what they found is higher gene expression levels of the potent, anti, potent inflammatory cytokine IL-1B um, in the vitamin D deficient group. Okay, So they're looking to see what's causing the, this increased risk of stiffness. So that's one of the possible causes. The other one is that it, the opposite. So higher gene expression levels of the potent anti-inflammatory biomarker IL-10 were found in the vitamin D sufficient group that were not obese. So if you're low vitamin D and obese, you have higher inflammation. And if you are vitamin D sufficient and not obese, you have less inflammation. So the conclusion, here's the conclusion of the second study, quote, our study provides new insights into the molecular mechanisms of arterial stiffness in vitamin D deficient and obese patients, demonstrating the role of oxidative stress and inflammation in the process. So here's the bottom line. Vitamin D deficiency and obesity both contribute to cardiovascular disease. And here's the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendations. I think these two papers taken together provide significant evidence supporting vitamin D supplementation as a way to help our hearts and cardiovascular system. Now, this data obviously needs to be replicated, and we need to confirm that it in the 40s may be better than the 20s, but I think you can take this data, published peer-reviewed scientific data to your doc, and see if this is meaningful for you. Okay, check out again the Vitality Explorer Substack site if you want to read the abstracts and you want to see the graphs. And we're going to finish with a very interesting um, sort of speculative discussion about how can you define your bio age. And the title of this one is Peeking into Your Peepers Predicts Longevity. And that's really sort of eye blood vessel scans correlate with your biologic age. So there's this exploding area of longevity 
and, and vitality and how to define it and what is your biologic age versus your chronologic age. We've talked about this before in the Vitality Explorer uh, a podcast, but chronologic age is pretty simple. It's just the number of years since your, since your birth. Your biologic age, however, is really vigorously being debated in the scientific literature right now. There's a lot of people, there's companies that have created uh, tests, and these are um, a variety of different tests to try to define your biologic age. Now, I've been at this almost a year now trying to figure out what the best test is, and let me tell you, there is no perfect test, all right? There are a variety of different measurements but none of them have been perfect. The most common one right now is measuring markers that exist on the top of your DNA. These are known as epigenetic markers. Um, but unfortunately, this method requires taking blood or sometimes saliva or a cheek sample and then processing it in a complex lab. That can take weeks or even a couple months, and it's also quite expensive. What's novel, what's new, what's interesting is that you can use your eyes potentially to predict your biologic age. And I find this fascinating because it's not invasive and can be done at the point of care, like in a doctor's office, and it can take less than a minute. So the process really big is you take a picture of the back of your eye and in the back of your eye is called the retina and there are blood vessels on the back of your eye that can be measured and they correlate with a variety of diseases or even death. And so here's the name of the paper we're gonna take a little deeper dive into. Uh, it's quote, retinal age gap is a predictor predictive biomarker for mortality risk. And the study developed took a, a deep learning model to estimate the age from more than 80,000 retina images and then explored the link to mortality. Uh, the focus was on healthy individuals for the training model and then mortality data for the analysis. So there's lots of cool graphs you can see on the Vitality Explorer Substack site, but the performance of the deep model uh, was pretty interesting in, in predicting the actual age of the person. Now, what they found is that the model had predicted a retinal age that was actually higher, that was associated with higher mortality risk, particularly from things that were not related to your heart or cancer. So the, the quote basically is, retinal age gap was defined as the difference between predicted retinal age and the person's chronologic age, all right? Um, and what was fascinating is that a 35% higher risk of dying was found in the partic research participants with the largest retinal age gap uh, compared to the lowest one. So they have something called the Kaplan-Meier curve. They looked at the basically the first quartile versus the fourth quartile and the hazard ratio for those statistical geeks out there and gurus was 1.35, representing a significantly higher risk for those people with a large retinal age gap. And here are the primary conclusions from that paper. Uh, first is that images from the back of your eye, that is the retina, can detect age with a high degree of accuracy. Number two is having a gap between what your predicted age is uh, or, and a high retinal age gap is associated with increased risk of dying. Fascinatingly, you know, the big big uh, gorilla on, on, the, on the peninsula, Google, is also working on something called an IH clock. And here's what they found so far. Here's three quotes about the Google IH clock. Number one, deep learning models can accurately, accurately predict an individual's chronologic age using only images of their retina. Number two, the predicted age differs from the chronologic age. This difference identified accelerated onset of age-related disease. And the third, quote, the models learn insights 
which can improve our understanding of how genetic factors influence aging. So you've got both Google and research groups looking into taking pictures of the back of your eye to measure your biologic age and to predict whether you're gonna develop, have developed disease or your risk of dying. So I think this is something that's really core to the, the, the function of Vitality Explorers. We've been in search of a meaningful biomarker for aging since the inception of Vitality Explorers. Um, I'm looking into a variety of different uh, places where this is done, but I think images from the back of your eye at some point may become a validated or I should say a fully validated measure of your biologic age. Some of the data that we just talked about, I think provides already provides evidence that it's meaningful. Uh, I think we need to kind of identify exactly how to, to use this. This is clearly an area that we're gonna keep a close eye on in terms of whether or not it's validated and I'll keep you updated about it. Um, so again, you can look at the retinal age gap as a predictive biomarker for mortality paper, the abstract on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. Um, one little plug here, if you're interested in uh, a Vitality gift for the holidays, uh, I would recommend you consider purchasing the Dare to Be Vital book that I published this year. Uh, it has been used for my Vitality Explorer classes and seminars, and you can find that on Amazon. So again, this week we uh, talked about channeling your inner Sisyphus and Angela Duckworth's uh, amazing work on grit. We talked about how vitamin D can help our hearts. And then we finished with uh, looking at eye scans and longevity and mortality. Uh, the goal again with the Vitality Explorer podcast is to optimize your vitality one person at a time. So I hope at least one person listening to this podcast found some of this information meaningful. If you do enjoy this, it would be very helpful for us if you left a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, remember that vitality is a skill. Remember that vitality is a gift you give yourself by taking ownership over your decisions and choices. I hope you will continue to make deposits into your vitality bank account this coming week by working on your physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. Our final goal with this podcast is to summarize all the work that I've done this past week. You can see the full text versions of, versions of this on the, on the Substack site. The goal with the podcast is to give you all of that information in 25 to 30 minutes or less each week so we can take the friction out of staying vital. And think about that. If you listen to this in 2x speed, you probably get it in about 10 to 12 minutes. So thank you again for listening. It is an honor and pleasure to do the Vitality Explorer Substack or Vitality Explorer podcast. My name is Dr. Alan Mishra. And until next time, get out there and dare to be vital. Thank you very much for listening.